Well, good morning, Gateway family. Uh, good to see you guys this morning. For uh, those of you that maybe are new with us today or just started coming the last two weeks, my name's Blake. Nice to meet you. Uh, I'm the senior pastor here at Gateway, but glad to be back. We've been out for a couple months on sabbatical, but just excited to get back with you and um, excited to be able to jump back into ministry, excited to be able to jump back into the relationships with this Gateway family that we love so much. And, Sean and I both missed you while we were out, and yes, it was a very refreshing time, and I'll uh, be sharing little tidbits over the weeks and probably even months to come about that, um, just some of the things that, that we were able to experience, but I wanted to say on the front end, I want to say thank you for the opportunity to take this time away, and uh, really the main goal was just to slow down and be with God, and just you know, have communion with God and walk with God in, in, in a very personal way. And feel like that we were able to accomplish that. Um, but I realize that that is an incredible gift to be able to be able to do that. And, you know, a couple of people have already said something along the lines of, you know, I'm glad you were able to have some time away. It was well deserved. Well, I understand the sentiment behind that and I appreciate it. But, but I want to be very clear and say I don't view that as something that was earned but as a gift. And so we're, we're grateful for that, but we're also excited to be back, uh, excited to share some things with you, much of the inspiration for the new series that we're starting today called The Way of Weakness came from a book that I read leading up to and in, in the early days of sabbatical. It was a book called The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb, and it was an, it's an outstanding book that just talks about two different approaches to power. Right there, the, there is what they call the way from above or the way from God, God's way, which is a way of, of service and of humility. And then there is the world's way of power. And I think we all know what that is, right? That's just, let me flex my muscles and make you do what I want you to do. And it's interesting that Jesus spoke to this issue very clearly in Matthew 20. In fact, it says that uh, when, when the disciples found out that James and John's mother, do you remember this story, came to Jesus and said, let one of my sons sit at your right and one at your left in your kingdom. And, you know, she's just kind of, I don't know if she was Italian or what, but like this was a mom, you know, she was going to get involved and make sure that her sons had everything that was best. And it says that the others were indignant. And so Jesus has to address it. Matthew 20 25 to 28 says, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'd say not much has changed, wouldn't you? 2,000 years ago, saying those, the rulers of the Gentiles just wanted to lord it over people, exercise their authority. Don't you think that's still the case today? That's the way from below. And so we have a decision to make. How are we going to appro uh, approach this whole thing of what does power look like? And the Bible's very clear, and we're going to jump into a passage that will probably be familiar to you here in just a moment in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, but I, I want you to listen to a quote from that book that I, I just mentioned that I found very convicting when it talks about the church's role in addressing this problem of a, a misunderstanding of, of power and, and those kinds of things. It said this, In a culture drunk on power and in need of an intervention, the church has too often become an enabler. In many places, churches openly affirm the way from below. Instead of being told how desperately I am in need of God, 
I'm repeatedly told how much God needs me. Instead of being exhorted to pick up my cross and follow Christ, I'm told that Jesus wants to be my partner in the plan I have to rid my life of all struggles and challenges. I'm afraid he's right. It's awfully easy for us, even within the church, to maybe, without even realizing we're doing it, to begin to take on this, this way from below, this idea of what power looks like and, and, and make it all about self and all about the individual. And it's not just about telling people, hey, God needs you and all this. It, it, it's also how we deal with and what we expect from those who are in positions of authority. And think about how often those in positions of authority, it could be a pastor, it could be a deacon chairman, it could be a longtime member, it could be really anybody. But think about those instances where there's somebody who has so much power that they basically can do whatever they want. There's no accountability. There's nobody holding their feet to the fire when they begin to step out of line with what Scripture says. And that's a problem. And it breaks my heart when I hear the stories, and maybe some of you have these kinds of stories in your own life, of people that have been hurt by those in the church that have misused their authority, that have abused the authority that they have. And uh, it, it breaks my heart when, when I hear, I mean, it seems like just recently there have been several examples coming up in uh, uh, situations where highly respected, in some cases, people that I really have looked up to in ministry have been exposed in a variety of areas. It could be anything uh, from sexual abuse to embezzlement to explosions of anger, misogyny, uh, any number of things. And those things come to the surface and there is a tendency for us to say, oh my goodness, how could they do that? You know, it's a whole lot easier to recognize a misuse of authority or a misunderstanding of what true um, power really is. It's a whole lot easier to recognize that in someone else than it is to recognize it in ourselves, isn't it? It's a lot easier to point the finger at someone else. But I want to say this very clearly that, that when we're talking about these things, this isn't something other Christian leaders need to watch out for. It's something I need to watch out for. It's something all of us need to watch out for. This isn't just a problem that somebody else has. This is something that we need to be very careful of because we are sinful people. And that means that our hearts gravitate toward power and control. We want to be the one calling the shots. And that's one of the things as I was praying through God, show me what I, what I uh, need to learn and need to see. And it wasn't something new. I've, I've recognized this for a long time now. But God did show me in some fresh and unique ways how I struggle with this sin of pride and wanting to be in control and wanting to, you know, I've got to have the, the, the voice in everything and dictate everything, whether that be in a, a work setting or at home or whatever it is. And that's a problem. Maybe some of you wrestle with that as well. Uh, we're going to talk about many of those things as we talk about following this, what I call the way of weakness. It's what Jesus modeled for us uh, Philippians chapter 2, you can begin if you want to, to find your way there. We'll read it together here in just a moment, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And by the way, I like the way there's a few different ways it's phrased. A lot of times I'll, I'll read uh, from a different version today. It's going to be the, the English uh, standard version is what I'm going to read from. So it sounds a little bit different from what you're, you're used to. There's just a couple of phrases that I think will be 
uh, insightful to us. You know, one of the things that uh, I did over sabbatical, I'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute. We did, we did a lot of different things, but I got to get away by myself for a few days to Colorado and uh, just be in the mountains and um, just kind of be alone with God. And, you know, I've seen the mountains before and I've spent time alone with God before, but sometimes it's, it's necessary for us to just have a, a, a time to refocus and a time, really the purpose of that time is say, God, would you show yourself to me? Would you speak to me? Help me hear your voice. And that's, that should be a regular, that's not just a, when we have a chance to get away. That should be a regular rhythm of our lives, really, each day that we say, Lord, speak to me. I want to hear what you have to say. Uh, so let's pray and just ask God to speak to us as we get ready to jump into his word here. Lord, we recognize that our, that our hearts are sinful. We recognize, Lord, that, that we have a desire to do things our own way, even when we know better. And so, Lord, as we jump into your word today, we're depending on your spirit to teach us. We're asking you to show us in our hearts where we are not surrendered to you. And, Lord, where, where we don't line up with the, the way of weakness, where, Lord, we are, are trying to grasp for control. So speak to us, change us, and convict us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, probably a familiar passage for many of you. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You know, these verses come right on the heels of the beginning of, of chapter 2, is where he talks about not doing anything out of selfish ambition. You'll consider others better than yourselves, that kind of thing. And then he goes right into, uh, let's talk about who Jesus is and, and having the, the mind of Christ. I love that little phrase there, uh, because our sinful minds want to consider ourselves above others, not the other way around like we're supposed to. And yet what he tells us to do is to have a certain mind in us that is ours in Christ. That's significant, by the way, before we jump into this, to point out that fact. He says, you have this in Christ. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's automatic. You know, just as we have the ability to conquer sin and, and to not give in to temptation, but that doesn't mean that we will never sin. We do have to do something to put this into practice. But it's a great reminder on the very front end to say, look, this is yours in Christ. You have this mind in Christ. And so we start with this, and that is to change the way we think. We're going to follow the the path that Jesus puts out for us, we need to change the way we think. I love the, the way Romans 12, 2 puts it. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Renewing of our minds means learning to think like Jesus thinks. That happens through scripture. That happens as we uh, let God's word get into us. But we have a responsibility to renew our minds. Now, that doesn't just mean that we come up with some alternative way of thinking, right? It's really clear. The goal is to think like Jesus. I love this little quote I came across 
one of the early church leaders by the name of Gregory of Nyssa. He was a church leader in the 4th century. And he said that Jesus is, and I, and I quote, he says, like a pure untainted stream, if you draw from him the thoughts of your mind and the inclinations of your heart, you will show a likeness to Christ, your source and origin, as the gleaming water in a jar resembles the flowing water from which it was obtained. That's the goal, right? We are drawing from Christ, the mind of Christ. And he says, this is yours in Christ. This is available to you. All of us who are in Christ have the ability to, to think like Jesus. This mind of Christ is ours. But we do have a part in responding to that. We have a responsibility to implement that. And that's the goal, is to think like Jesus. And guys, when we come to Christ, we should start thinking differently, right? It changes the way we think. It's not that we, you know, say a certain prayer, oh, I believe in Jesus, I believe he died for me, and, you know, and then we just kind of go on and nothing changes, right? We're transformed. The Bible says that we're new. We're, we're, we're made into a new creation in Christ, and part of that new creation is what happens up here. We begin to think differently. We begin to, to, to think like Jesus, our thinking is transformed. Now, just like other areas of our lives, unfortunately, maybe your experience is different from mine, but my experience wasn't that I came to Christ and then th the next day everything was just perfect as it was supposed to be, right? Fully mature, it just happened overnight, he saved me. That's, that's generally not how it works. Now, the, the transformation internally is instantaneous. At the moment we trust in Christ, we are immediately brought from death to life. We receive the Holy Spirit. That is an instantaneous thing that happens when we believe in Jesus. But then the, the way that gets worked out in our lives is a continual work in progress. Right? We are works in progress. The key word there is progress. We should be making progress in all areas of our lives, including the way we think. So transforming our minds, having our minds renewed is the beginning point there. And I, I just have to say this. If God has not changed the way you think, either you're not growing in your faith or you're not in the faith. It's one of those two. Because when we come to faith, we do begin to think differently. That's, that's part of the process. Now, the way we think then should reflect the character of Christ. So what, what are we after? What are we trying to change the way we think about? Well, we want to become like Jesus, verse 6. Let's look at him again and who he is and look at his character. Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. And then he goes on in verse 7 to talk about emptying himself, taking the nature of a servant. Verse 8, became obedient to death on the cross. See, this is, this is what we're after. It's like, okay, let's... Pay attention to who Jesus is. Let's, as Hebrews 12.2 talks about, there's a great phrase in Hebrews 12.2 that talks about fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus as we say, what is the goal? Like, what, what, are, what are we trying to be transformed to? This is it. We, we want to have the mind of Christ, but now we know how Jesus thinks. And so the second thing that we need to do is simply that, fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to pay very, very careful attention to who he is and take time to, to really notice that. That was one of the key 
goals for me, that was one of the key themes for me over my time away, was, Lord, I just, I just want to spend time with you. you know, I want to I get to know you in more personal, intimate ways. I, wanna, I just want to take time because sometimes we can get distracted, right? So many different things going on. The problem is that I can be guilty of giving a passing look at Jesus or a passing glance at Jesus, but not truly taking the time to fix my eyes on Jesus. We need to do that, fixing our eyes on Christ. Those of you that, that know uh, my wife, Sean, she'll be here toward the end of the service, so you'll get to say hi to her. As Charlotte told me earlier, I'm glad to see you, but I really want to see Sean. So I appreciate your honesty there, Charlotte. Uh, and so many others in the same boat you are. But one of the things you know, if you know my wife, she is a beautiful woman. She really is inside and out. She is she's truly just a, a beautiful human being. And I know that um, there are times that I notice and appreciate her beauty more than others. And that isn't a reflection on her. I'm not talking about, you know, she did her hair extra good that day. I'm just saying there are times that it's, it's me, not her, that if I'm distracted by something or if I'm in a hurry or I've got other things on my mind, I might give a passing glance rather than truly taking the time to stop and just fully appreciate her beauty. Now, I know every analogy breaks down when you're comparing a person to Jesus. I get that. But there, there is something to be said for for that relationship, and there's a reason why the Bible talks about us being the bride of Christ, right? There should be that type of, of closeness. We often get so distracted that we just don't take the time to stop and look and gaze upon Christ. And, you know, I, I would encourage you to develop that into the regular rhythms of your daily life. Just making sure that there's time that you can set aside to fix your eyes on Jesus. Verse 6, let me go back to that one again. One of the things that makes him so incredible, it says that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. I want to unpack that just a little bit. Starting with going back to John 1.1, the nature of Jesus. It says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So from the very beginning, Jesus was, he is, always has been God. God exists as a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, but three persons. And so Jesus has always been God from the very beginning. There is no hierarchy in God. There's not like, you know, some are higher than another. It's they're all equally God. Now, they have different roles within the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all have different roles. And Jesus talked about submitting to the will of his Father. But he was still equally God with the Father. And yet what verse 6 says is that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Or maybe another way of saying it is something to be held on to. What he's talking about here is how Jesus opened his hands and he, he released those things. Now, when he came to earth, he was still God, but he took on human nature as well. And the very fact that he was a human being means that he chose to give up some of the um, benefits that come with being God. He was no longer on his throne in heaven being worshipped. In fact, just the opposite is what happened. He was being cursed and eventually would be killed. He, he didn't hold on to those things. He was willing to let that go for our benefit. I was thinking about that. I thought, just think about the irony here. Jesus was God, but didn't insist on his rights as God. He let that go. And compare that to Satan, who was not God, was a created being, but wanted to be like God. 
And that was the very first temptation, even in the Garden of Eden, is, you know, you will, you will be like God. And so Satan, and then we follow in that same path of, of, of just wanting that, but here is Jesus who is God, but doesn't insist on the rights of God. And then you've got Satan who wasn't, but tried to usurp what wasn't rightfully his. Well, if that isn't mind-boggling enough that Jesus would not grasp or hold on to this equality with God, it, it, it takes it to the next step in verse 7. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, this becomes even more astonishing. I mean, the fact that Jesus is willing to leave heaven and come to earth is remarkable enough, but you would think if he's going to do that, he would have a grand entrance, right? He would be a king of some sort. But no, he takes on the nature of a servant. And again, notice this is, these are all things that he takes on himself willingly. This isn't forced on him. Those who are servants in this life generally are that way because they were born into it or because um, it was forced on them. Maybe they were taken from somewhere and forced into servitude. Or maybe they sold themselves as a servant because they had a debt to pay that they, that they couldn't pay any other way. But it's not really voluntary. Jesus, none of those things is true of Jesus. Just as God who chose to become a servant on our behalf. It's really remarkable. And then you get into verse 8 and it takes it to the, I mean, it just builds. You know, leaves heaven, becomes a servant, and then verse 8, you're like, this can't be true. But it is. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus took this whole idea of servanthood to another level. He became obedient, it's part of the Father's plan from the beginning, but he became obedient to the point of death on a cross. He gave his life for us, and that's the gospel message, is that Jesus came to earth for the sole purpose of becoming a sacrifice for our sins. Lived a perfect life which qualified him then to become our substitute payment for sin. He did that for us. He died on the cross for us. And of course the good news is if we will respond in faith, then we can be forgiven because Christ paid our debt. Now it does require a response on our behalf. A gift that, of that magnitude deserves a response. We have to respond in faith. That's not just believing and it's not just saying, oh yeah, I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe I'm a sinner. All that's important, but there has to, to be a point of, of faith, a point of trust, where we are saying, I believe all those things to be true, but I'm also choosing to, to put my trust in Jesus. And when we do that, we are, are born again and that is an incredible message. If you've not heard that message before, if you've not come to a point of trusting in Christ, I urge you today, let today be the day that you choose to trust in Jesus. And we'll give you that opportunity to do so at the end of our service today. But I know for most of you in the room right now, and maybe even for most of you watching online as well, you've heard this before. Maybe you've heard it hundreds, maybe thousands of times before. But this is a message that's so beautiful it should never get old. Um, when I, I mentioned the, the, the trip to Colorado that we took when I was, um, it, it landed in Colorado Springs where I flew into. It was about a two-hour drive to uh, a church camp in Buena Vista. It's where I first had an encounter with God, Frontier Ranch, outside of Buena Vista. I wanted to go back to the place that I first had a real meaningful encounter with God. And I was excited about it. I got there, and it was kind of drizzly and rainy and cloudy. And uh, I was looking forward to this two-hour drive through the mountains. 
because it's just gorgeous. If you ever, you know, you drive through the mountains, it's amazing. And I'm looking forward to just taking all this in. And I get there, and it's just kind of gray and overcast. and can't see any mountains. And I'm like, okay. I, I'm a little disappointed. You know, but I'm still, I'm literally, I couldn't stop smiling. I text Sean. I'm like, I can't stop smiling. I was so excited to be there, so excited for that time with God, you know, just to, just to spend with him. And, um, but I'm driving to the location from the airport, and it's raining, and I'm praying, and just, you know, having a great time, worshiping the Lord and, and praying to him. And I'm like, you know, Lord, I... I'm not, I don't want to complain. I'm so glad to be here. And, you know, it was, by the way, the forecast was kind of to be that way for the next several days. And I'm like, you know, that's okay. If it's cloudy and all that, that's cool. But if I could just ask, I would love to have some nice weather just to fully appreciate the beauty of your creation. And, y'all, it wouldn't. Ten minutes later, I'm driving. I go up this incline in the highway and come up on a little crest. And I look out in front of me. What I saw took my breath away, literally. It made me gasp out loud. The clouds had broken, and the entire Rocky Mountains are, look like they're on fire in front of me, and the sun's shining off of them, and it was just like, oh my goodness. It, it, it just took me back, and it was another one of the, a lot of those moments where God's like, watch this, you know. Just let me show you something here, and that, that was one of those things, but I mean, just taking in the mountains and seeing that, it just never gets old. In fact, right outside, the, um, there was a, a deck outside where I stayed. I've got a picture of that and put up on the screen. As you can see, that, that was the view outside, right? There's mountains in the background. And just really enjoyed sitting there and just, just watching the mountains. And then there's another picture of sunrise one morning, which was just incredible. You know, just the, the, the sun's starting to come up there. Beautiful, right? And I thought to myself, I don't think this would ever get old, you know, this is so beautiful that I don't think you would ever get tired of it. You know, I love the mountains. I love the view. But even that can't even begin to compare with the beauty of Christ. And so, really the point of all this is, Jesus is so beautiful that we should fix our eyes on him continually and it should never get old. And then when we do that, Verses 9 through 11 close out by this is the response to that. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's the last thing is when we do all this, we exalt Jesus as the Lord of our lives. That's the ultimate response to that, right? Is that Jesus is exalted as Lord. I, I hope this goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. The, the point of humbling ourselves is not so that we'll be exalted. And yet, God says that I exalt those who are humble and humble those who try to exalt themselves. I get that, but that's not the ultimate goal, right? The ultimate goal is we want Jesus to be exalted in our lives. That's what we are striving for. In verse 10 and 11 tell us that someday every Knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now that, by the way, I left out a little bit. It says, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That means everywhere, every created being, every being in heaven, every being on earth, every being in hell, everything that has ever been created, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now that is coming. But I think all of us recognize the fact that we're not there yet, right? 
I mean, that's, that's the honest truth. We do not yet live in a time where every knee bows and every tongue confesses. In fact, I think if we were being honest in this room, we might have to admit that we're not at a place where every knee is bowing and every tongue confessing. I mean, maybe, maybe you know Jesus, but maybe if you're being really honest, you're really not living in full submission to him. And so today, as we prepare to bring things to a close, I, I just... I want us to acknowledge this uncomfortable truth that for some of us, life is more about us than it is about exalting Jesus. We're more concerned about fulfilling our desires and our dreams and what we want than we are about submitting to him and letting him be who he is. Today, if you're courageous enough to admit that that's where you are, then I just want to pray with you. I, I, I guess... All of us are there to a certain degree, right? But what I'm talking about here, I'm not talking about are you perfect in your life, but I'm saying if you're really not choosing to submit to the Lordship of Christ in your life, you know that. Maybe nobody else knows it. Maybe everybody else is completely fooled, but you know in your heart that Christ isn't really reigning in your life. Maybe because, that's because you've never come to a point of trusting in Jesus. You've never acknowledged your sinfulness. You've never turned away from it. You've never said, Jesus, I'm inviting you to be the Lord of my life. I'm giving it all to you. And if that's your next step today, we urge you to take that step of faith. But it could be that for some of us, you've, you've trusted in Christ. You're a believer. But your life really isn't in submission to him. You see, it says to us that someday every knee will bow, every tongue confess. It's going to happen either voluntarily or involuntarily. But let me tell you, it's a whole lot better when it's voluntary. It's a whole lot better when we choose right now in this life. Because if we wait until this life is over, we will bow before Christ. But it's too late at that point to do anything about it. Right now, what we can do is say, Lord, I, I want to turn away. I want to repent. I want to give control of my life to you. And if you know that that's you today, I'm going to ask you to do something courageous. In a minute, we're going to bow for prayer. And I'm going to ask you to let me know that that's where you are just so I can pray for you. Simple as that. If you'd be honest enough to just say, that's me. I'm not, I, I, I'm just not living in submission to Jesus in my life right now. And I would like for you to pray for me. We want to have opportunity to do that. So let's bow our heads together for a time of prayer. And again, I'm just going to ask you to let me know. With heads bowed, nobody's looking around. I just want us to continue in the spirit of prayer. But if you know your life is not submitted to the Lordship of Christ and you want prayer for that, would you just slip your hand up there and say, that's me today. I'm going to ask you to pray for me. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to follow you wholeheartedly. Lord Jesus, thank you for humbling yourself, for going to the cross for us. We know that you are exalted, that you, you, you will be lifted up. And Lord, I pray right now, specifically for those that have just acknowledged and said, I need prayer. I need to get my life back on track. Lord, you know what is needed in those situations. And so my prayer today 
is that you would step into um, each heart that needs to surrender fully. And Lord, that there would be true transformation that begins to happen today. Lord, give us the ability and the heart to follow you wholeheartedly because of who you are. We're so grateful. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.